Welcome to Consulting Growth Hour with me, Fahim Musa, where I break down key growth concepts so you can build a thriving consulting business. Check out the show notes for presentations and handouts as we go deep into the rabbit hole of consulting. Let's get started. So why are we having a Q&A today? So we've talked about, through the course of this series, the Consulting Growth Hour series, we've talked about many different topics on consulting growth value propositions, marketing strategy, content marketing, winning habits of consultants, how to find underserved markets, consulting business models, and, and so many others. So I wanted to make sure that the folks that are coming back, you know, if you have any questions, we can address those questions then and there. So how it works is I've already got a bunch of questions. If you've been receiving my emails, you know that I've been asking you to respond to those emails and send me some questions. So I've been getting some questions and we'll start with those. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Fahim Musa. I'm a former management consultant. I founded a management consulting business in 2009 in Toronto focused on strategic planning. The business was called Springboarders, and I served many different types of industries, more than 30 different industries and small, mid-sized, large corporations, governments, nonprofits, before settling down and specializing in strategic and business planning for academic researchers and innovators. So you see, I started really broad, and then I figured out what my specialty was and focused on that. That's a great segue into the first question that came in from Tomas. I don't know if he's here yet. I don't think he is, but he asked a very good question that a lot of consultants ask and, and a lot of early stage business founders ask. And the question is how to choose a niche for my consulting business? How do I choose a niche for my consulting business? Now, this is a huge topic in itself, but I'll try to condense it and talk about how you can choose that niche. And then I'll talk about my example as well, about how I landed into my niche, which is strategic and business planning for academic researchers and innovators. So there are three elements that you will need to consider or three parameters that you need to consider when you are, when you want to zone in on your niche, right? This is a, this is a framework that I'm going to be giving you, but know that, you know, this is an ongoing process. It's not like you can simply sit up one evening, do this exercise, and then magically come up with your niche. You can come up with some possible answers, but you need to go out to the market test those answers and see the feedback that you get, see if you're getting traction in the business and then come back to the drawing board and do this exercise again. The three parameters to choose a niche for your consulting business is number one, expertise. Number two is markets that you know. And number three is unmet needs. Okay, expertise, markets you know, and unmet needs. Now let's break those three down. Expertise is, is pretty straightforward, right? You're a consultant because you have specific expertise, right? 
I'm going to look in the chat if you've put down your your consulting uh, roles and your consulting expertise. So Chris says financial markets, investment management, operational improvement. So so that's an example of an expertise operational operational improvement, right? That's that's an example of functional expertise. My expertise was strategic planning and business planning. Your expertise could be human resources, for example, right? It could be marketing and sales. Um, it could be operations, like Chris is. It could be financial planning, etc. So those are functional examples of functional expertise. You also have platform expertise, right? Platform expertise is when you have a uh, when you have expertise in a specific platform, like a lot of IT consultants, right? focus on certain platforms like Oracle, Microsoft 365. Some folks in the operations focus on Lean Six Sigma, right? And so on. So those that's that it, that comes under platform expertise. So whatever your your ex expertise is, write it down, make a list of at least five different types of expertise that you may have. Right. This is when you're choosing your niche because it can get confusing. Typically, consultants are experienced people. You may have worked on a lot of different things, right? Sometimes even for 20 plus years, and you've learned a lot. You've got you've got those skills. But when you want to choose your niche, and you may have you may have a number of types of expertise to choose from. So in that case, just list those down and rank them from know what you're best at and then so on and then you'll have a list of you a list of five starting with what you're best at 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 solving best at you know offering offering your clients offering the world right so that's number step number one list examples of five five expertise that you can that you can bring forward number two markets that you know now, markets that you know are nothing but segments of, of customers, right? So there are various ways you can slice and dice these markets. Let me just look at the comments. So again, Chris says financial markets. So I'm assuming it's financial services. Those could be banks. Those could be insurance companies. So these are just basically, it could be industries, Right? You can slice your markets based on vertical industries. Like let's say you focus on pharma, you focus on financial services. And within financial services, you focus on insurance. You focus on, like me, academic institutions, researchers within academic institu institutions. It can go really fairly niche. And there is a way to, to, to figure out the size of the market that you choose. That again is a is is a more detailed topic. I've I've talked about it in my previous sessions in my how to how to choose underserved markets where you choose this look at the size of the market as well. But for this, for the purposes of this answer, this response, let's just focus on the types of markets. So the number one is vertical markets, right? Where you focus on specific industries and verticals. You could also focus, you don't necessarily have to focus on vertical markets. It depends on the type of business you're in, right? You can focus on what I call horizontal markets, where you know these are various 
types of industries, but you can kind of narrow them down based on size of the business. So you could say small businesses, you could or or you could say mid-sized businesses. I define a small business as as companies that have employees have less than one thousand employees. A mid-sized business would be employees between one thousand and five thousand, and a large company would be five thousand and above. Right, that's a very basic definition. But you could say that you serve small businesses within the state of New York, and you help them with HR strategy, for example. A lot of HR consultants, for example, and several other types of consultants don't need, don't necessarily need to focus on a vertical if they don't want to. Although focusing on a vertical is beneficial for consultants because then you can be very, very specific while speaking with prospects and let them know that you've solved specific problems that they may be facing within their organizations. And, and then you can say that you speak the industry's language. That's a very strong proposition when you speak with potential clients. Okay. So we talked about vertical markets. We talked about horizontal markets. This is the third type of market, which is which I call customer customer focused. When I say customer focused, I mean that they are segmented based on some customer characteristics. Let's let's call it customer characteristics uh, characteristic type of market. An example of this type of market would be, let's say, expatriate business owners around the world, right? They, there is a certain characteristic that they have that makes you, that would allow you to segment that market and, and put them in a separate bucket, expatriate business owners. Another example could be minority businesses, companies that are run by minority business owners. That's a specific category because there are various types of incentives and funding and issues that they face. So that's a specific type of market based on customer characteristics, right? So when you're picking a niche, you want to think about the expertise, your best expertise that you can bring to the world and marry that expertise with markets that you know. And typically the best results you'll get is when you match these two elements and know that you have gotten results for using this expertise for a specific market in the past. When you know that you've got results for a specific market using your, a specific type of expertise in the past, that's when you get confident as a consultant because you know what you can bring to the table. You know what, mar what, what markets, what the market wants at least initially, and you know that there is a problem in the marketplace. When I started my business right, right back in 2009, you know, I had a situation where I had to quit my job. I wasn't enjoying myself, corporate job, and I just jumped right in into starting a business. And the first business I started, that, that, the consulting business that I started was business planning for small and medium-sized enterprises. That's all I had in mind. And that's, I just jumped in and I knew that it would work. Why? Because, 
you know, just before the recession started in 2008, I was, you know, I, I was jobless for like a, a year, for one year. And obviously I had to pay my rent and so on. So I started freelancing as a business planning consultant. And through my network and through other means, I managed to get a few clients. And I knew by interacting with these, this market this, and these types of business owners that there was a need for this service because you know, early stage businesses wanted business planning and strategic planning and so on. So when I quit my, by that, by that time, I, you know, as I was doing freelance, I was doing the freelance work, I eventually got a corporate job and I worked in that, that organization. But then by the time I quit, I, I knew that there was a market out there for business planning consultants. So that gave me confidence. Why? Because my functional expertise, business planning and a market that I had chosen at that time, it was SMEs, small and medium-sized businesses in, in Toronto, Canada. I knew that there, there was a market there. I knew there was a need for my services and that gave me confidence. Okay. But there's a third element here. There's a third element that you, that is possibly, that is not possibly, it is the most important element out of this trifecta that I'm presenting to you. And that element is unmet market needs, right? There's only a business opportunity when there is unmet market need. You may have the best expertise in the world. You may know your market and you speak the industry language or whatever. But if there's no need in the marketplace, you can't, you know, do well in your, in your business. There has to be an unmet market need. And when I say unmet market need, I mean, what problem does the market have that you can solve as a consultant? And for me, the problem that I identified was that a lot of these small companies would have a planning consultant come in, help them with their strategic planning and business planning needs, put together financial documents, financial plans, and so on. And they would simply not implement anything once that planning session was done because things would keep changing. And, you know, the plan that they, they create created would not be relevant anymore. And so it was a huge waste of time. I'd identified this need before when I was, when I was freelancing. And so I knew that there was a, there was a market need for it. And what I did was I said that I would work with you, create a plan for your business and help you execute it and keep editing and changing the plan as and when required as your business changes. So that was the value proposition that I went in with, okay? Because I knew there was a, there was a need for that. And, you know, it did, it did reasonably well in the beginning, but the, the real thing that really changed my business, the, the thing that really changed my business is finding this market, this academic researcher's market that I talked to you about that really gave my business scale, right? So when you find a, when you when you when you talk about finding a niche for your business know that this is an ongoing process it does not end even today as i'm speaking with you and i'm in a different business today where i'm in a, I'm in a mentorship 
coaching and training business today. You know, my niche, although it's defined right now, it's always evolving. This is a thing that keeps evolving, whether you like it or not. Right? Even though, even if you defined your niche really well, things keep changing in the marketplace. So your market changes, right? So you have to evolve along with your market and define your market and define your business in, in, in accordance with, 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 with what's going on in the marketplace. So what, what happened with me was I started as a generic business planning expert for small businesses and medium-sized businesses in Toronto. And it just wasn't cutting it. You know, it was, yes, it was, it was okay in the beginning because I was getting a few clients and all that. But I really wanted to do the larger projects. I was doing $10,000, $15,000 projects. I wanted to do larger projects, like six-figure projects. And so um, my question was, how? What do I have to do to do, or do that? And then as luck would have it, I'm admitting it, it was, I was lucky that as luck would have it, I got a referral into the University of Western Ontario, my, my alma mater, right? I'd done a... I'd, I'd, I, I did a, an MBA at that university and, and somebody introduced me to the business development office of the university where, you know, this office helped academic researchers launch their businesses. I didn't even know that such an office existed, but I was lucky and I hit it off with a client. We did a few engagements and four or five engagements, you know, after four or five engagements, I realized that, look, this is a nice niche for me. I've done four engagements or five engagements, and I can now position myself as somebody that helps these departments within these universities grow. And so then I started looking at the size of these, the size of this market. I looked at other universities, you know, in and around the area, and I felt that this, this could be a good market. So then I started positioning myself as a business planning a consulting firm for the academic researchers market in Ontario. That's the province we're in. So you see how it evolved. It's a journey that you need to take. Now, for me, I did not start as, I did not have expertise in academic researchers and their world and their issues. I started generic, I started broad, but then as I did more and more engagements and I got this client, I realized that, okay, this is a good niche. And by that time I had built up some functional expertise in serving this, this market that now I could say that, look, yes, I, I have some experience in this market, let's go deeper. And when you go deeper, that's when the magic happens because then you get known for solving a specific kind of problem. And if your market is big enough, like if you have 2,000 firms in your market, 2,000, at least 1,000 firms in your market, you can have a nice consulting business for a long time. And in my market, you know, I was looking at big universities. There's hardly like 10 universities around. And that itself gave me a huge boost for my business because I kept getting repeat business from my clients. And, you know, all I had to do was put together a team and serve them. So... That's how you look at, think you think about a niche, but there's a twist here as well. <laughs> it doesn't end in the real world. You know all this, this strategy and you know all this stuff works in, in that you can, you you can think about all the strategy and put together a, a nice plan for for serving a specific niche. 
But in the real world, what happens is, yes, you are focused towards a specific niche, but then what if you get a referral for another type of client, which is which could be quite lucrative, but it's not exactly your niche, do you take it or not? That keeps happening. That will keep happening as well, right? So for example, I was focused on academic researchers, right? Universities. And suddenly, you know, I got a, a referral from a government agency, a municipal government agency from the city of London, Ontario. And they had a strategic planning project. It was a nice meaty project. It was like, you know, I had to put in an RFP and everything, but you know, it could, it was a nice six figure opportunity. And was I going to say no to it? No, I said, yes, let's do this. And I put together a team and, you know, we did it. But I never positioned myself as a strategic planning consultant. It was a strategic planning project, but I never positioned myself as a strategic planning consultant for every type of business and every type of company. In my marketing materials, I used to mention that I specialize in academia and I had a marketing plan for that industry. But when something else came my way and it, as long as it was, it was part of strategic planning, I would not take anything else outside of strategic and business planning because we didn't know how to do it. That was not our expertise. If there was a good referral that came in and we felt that we could put together a team and deliver that, we would do it because it was, it was great revenue and you know, it would keep our associates, my associates busy. So even though you, 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 you select a niche and you have a marketing plan for that niche, sometimes you may get opportunities from elsewhere. And if you can, if, if it's in your functional area, I mean, you decide whether you want to do it or not. So that's how things worked for me, at least in the real world. And we had a nice consulting business out of that. It wasn't a very big market. It was a very niche market and it was very enjoyable. Type in your questions in the chat. I will be looking at the chat. And thank you for telling me what you guys are working on. Homera, good to have you here. This is your first time. You're an IT consultant, Sharon. I think it's your first time as well. So great to have you. Government funding, non-dilutive funding, financial modeling. Yeah, I did a lot of that as well in my day. Bill Turner, haven't seen you in a while. Good to have you here. 25 years of building and deploying software and hardware solutions for banking and security. Awesome. So, and you have a challenge. The biggest challenge of late is the C-level turnover. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Right. So type in the chat if you have any questions on anything and we'll get to it. Okay. So quickly move on to the next question. How do you build rapport with leaders, with decision makers on LinkedIn without coming across as salesy? It's a great question. So my response to that would be a question. I'll respond. I'll answer that with a question. How would you build rapport with people at a networking event in the real world? Please type in the chat, how would you build rapport with people at a networking event? Okay, I'll tell you my examples. I would be interested in them. I would ask them about their work. I would ask them about, you know, something that I notice that they, or the, something that they say. I would comment about something that they may have, talked about or 
you know, talked about with somebody else. So I would first be interested and strike up a conversation with them, right? And it's no different when you talk to somebody on LinkedIn, right? People think that just because it's a social network, you know, the, the rules are different. It's not. It's behind the computer screen, there is a human being, right? So how do you talk to a human being in, you know, in the real world? I mean, how would you talk to a human being offline? That's how you build, that's how you think about building rapport, right? The key is to be curious, be curious about them. The great thing about LinkedIn is that people fill up their profiles, most of them at least, with a lot of information, a lot of detail. Their entire work history is in there. Their, where they've studied is in there. Where they live is in there. Then you have content that they post. Not everybody posts content, but the ones that post content have a lot of information in there that you can look and be curious about and you know, send them a quick message right? So for example, if you've, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example of how I built a rapport with an individual that I met on, that I connected with on LinkedIn. He was a prospect, he was a potential prospect. And I noticed that in one of his, I think it was in his education or somewhere, he had mentioned that he was from St. Stephen in New Brunswick. No, he had mentioned that he was from New Brunswick, which is a province in Canada. And I picked up on that and I said that, hey, you know what? When I first came to Canada many years ago as a tourist with my family, the first place I went to was St. Stephen in New Brunswick, which is a small town of 8,000 people. And we went there because we had family there. And then he writes back and says, my father was the mayor of St. Stephen back in the day. How crazy is that? And that led to a conversation back and forth. It's just a general conversation, right? But it was nice to, to kind of have that commonality that, and, and just have a conversation like that. I'm not going to say that every time you do this, people are going to respond to you. Sometimes people may not respond to you on, on LinkedIn because people go in and out on LinkedIn. They come in 20 minutes, they're in there, they check their messages or they go through their feed and then they're out. This is not like Instagram where people are there, you know, they hold the whole day. So sometimes when you, even when you make, make the right effort and you look to the, through their profile and just have a, and, and, and notice something and, and write a message, they may not respond, but sometimes they, they do. And not, not all the time will you find that if people respond, they turn into prospects right? They, they turn into clients. No, not, not all the time. But then you, you got to keep doing it do it over and over again, and it has to become part of a habit. And that's how you'll meet better people, better prospects. You'll get to know other people. And if they don't become a prospect, they either become a, they could become a strategic partner one day. They could become, they could just be a, a LinkedIn network that could pa pass on referrals to you one day, you never know, they just become part of your network, right? But if you want to kind of further that, further that initial rapport into, you know, finding out if they need your help as a consultant, then what I do is um, I don't do a bait and switch. I don't have a 
pro a conversation about with a pro with with a prospect a personal conversation i don't do that and then suddenly say hey you know what can i help you with anything or can i you know here's what i do here are my services let's have a chat i don't do a bait and switch when i build rapport i just let it be for a few days you know we just built some rapport and then i if i really want to kind of learn about that person's business i would follow that person's content engage etc if they don't post content then i would send them a message a few days later saying that you know i notice you're in such and such a company and so on and you know i was wondering if you know based on what i know about your industry these are some of the challenges that your that your companies like yours face and i would list down certain challenges like one or two issues that a buyer like them would face right and then i would say that you know is it worth having a conversation about something like this right it's very it's very like it's a, it's not i'm not hard selling anything i'm just putting forth a couple of challenges trying to get their validation if they're facing the same challenges and then do you do you do you want to have is it worth having a conversation that's what i would say worth worth a chat or worth a conversation if they want to have a conversation they can they'll say yes and we'll set up a time if not they would i would get ignored sometimes people ignore because linkedin is very tricky in terms of how the messaging is set up messages can sometimes get lost so even when you don't hear back from someone it doesn't mean that they are ignoring you on purpose it means that your message may have just slipped through the cracks in that case you know sometimes i would send a follow up message if i don't hear back from a, a, to that message is also then i would just let it go but if i hear if i get a response then we set up a chat or sometimes they would say no there's no issues like that and then you know then i know that right now this this company is not facing such is not facing any issues okay another thing i do is sometimes i also would invite them based on you know the initial prospect in the, in the initial rapport building phase sometimes people will ask you you know what are you up to what do you do what's your company all about and then that turns into a work conversation naturally organically so you see every conversation is different so if it naturally turns into a work conversation then you can say that look this is what i do and you know if you're facing these two or three challenges i have like a 15 minute research presentation that i i've done which shows you some of the how you can deal with some of these issues so you see i talk about the issues that they may be facing if they say yes that's what they're going through then i would say i have a, a presentation ready which a research presentation ready which i can show you on how clients like you organizations like yours can overcome these issues now i have that presentation ready right because i know that these opportunities may come up so i i ask and sometimes they say yes sometimes they say that's that's fine i'm not maybe not now but sometime later and that's okay too right not everybody would say yes but this is what you got to keep doing over and over again and week after week then you'll get opportunities because some of them will say yes and then some of them will say yes for a call and then you uncover more problems you un understand what they're going through you do a needs analysis and assessment and so on and then some of them become clients 
So that's how rapport building is done on LinkedIn. It's not very different from the principles of building rapport offline. But of course, you've got to be mindful that this is a social network. People come in and go out. It's not like you're, you've got a person's attention at, at a networking event or a conference or you know, sitting across a table having a coffee. People go in and out. They might, the messages might slip through the cracks. So you, you should have a, a strategy where you learn to follow up. You keep tabs on who you've been speaking with and keep that conversation moving forward. So as long as you're useful, as long as you're helpful, useful, relevant, and interesting, you can build rapport with people on LinkedIn. Please type in the comments if you feel this is helpful. So that will be encouraging. So I know I'm on the right track. Okay. And if you have a question, please post it because we've got about 20 minutes left. I'm going to move into question number three. Should you sell consulting differently during a recession? Okay, this came up, and I know now that there's there's this came up some time back, and I pulled up this question because I thought that, and and, and somebody else asked this question recently as well. And although I felt that right now, I mean, now there's there's a lot of talk about okay, the recession is postponed. We're gonna maybe see it in Q3 or Q4 and so on. But I still think this is, this is a good topic to, to talk about because, you know, when you're selling something, when you're selling consulting services, and there's a perception that markets are heading towards a recession, buyers behave differently. Some buyers behave differently, especially in larger organizations, right? Larger organizations, you'll see people are being laid off and, and you know, budgets are being slashed and so on. So it's, it's important to be mindful that, yes, there, when there's a perception that markets are heading towards a recession, larger organizations, public, large public organizations, and even larger nonprofits, for example, behave differently. But for small consulting firms like you folks and even independent consultants, there's tons of opportunity available. When you need five, six, five or six clients per year, right, typically, or sometimes even less than that, right? And you know, there are thousands of companies, mid-sized companies out there, smaller businesses out there, if that's your market, that need help, that would rather hire a consultant than get somebody full-time because it makes sense for them. So there's no dearth of business, whether there's a recession or not, right? For us, that's the advantage for us consultants because companies always need help. When there are problems, they need help. When they are growing, they need help because growth leads to different problems. So companies always have challenges they need, they need to address. The reason we, we feel that a recessionary environment leads to less optimism is because people feel that way. There's a lot of talk in mainstream media. There's a lot of people posting stuff on, on social about the recession and this and that, that can kind of weigh you down. But know that that's not, you know, reality. Reality is that there are companies, thousands of companies, thousands of potential prospects, and they need help. Now, even if there's a recession and even if some companies are doing badly, you know, 
there are a lot of other companies, a lot of different, in, even if some industries do badly during a recession, like for example, now this is, we're, we're having this conversation in, in March of 2023, there's a lot of tech companies that have laid people off, right? There's a problem in the tech world. But at the same time, you'll see, you know, a lot of other companies, other industries that are doing pretty well, right? I don't want to get into the specifics, but if you do your research, there are lots of different industries that grow during, during a recession. Typically, you know, if, if, there's, if there's a lull in the markets, you know, people want to save money. So you'll see that fast food industry, for example, grows really fast during, during a recession because they're cheap and people cut back. Home renovation goes up during a recession. Everything to do with that home renovation ecosystem goes up because people aren't buying homes as much as they used to. They decide to renovate the existing home. Auto repair goes up because people aren't buying new cars anymore. Used, the used car industry goes up. Education as, as an industry also goes up because when people are laid off, some, you know, what do they do? They decide to go back to school. And then some industries don't even change. The healthcare industry, for example, the pharma industry, you know, people, they're sick, they're going to go to a hospital, they're going to take drugs, medicine. So just because there's a recession don't, doesn't mean that everyone's doing badly. So just, just think of that and know that there's a lot of opportunity out there. The reason we're not landing those opportunities is because we are not out there doing the best we can and trying to have conversations with potential buyers. You need a plan to do that. And if you don't have the plan, then all of this talk about rece the recession is going to weigh you down. If you have a plan, you just have to, you're going to close your eyes, do the work every day that you're committed to doing, be accountable, and you will land clients. I started my business during the recession and I did perfectly fine. In fact, I grew during, during the recession. Small businesses, small consulting firms can grow uh, fast during a recession because there is a lot of opportunity for consultants. A lot of companies, like I said, don't want to hire full-time employees. So if you're an independent consultant, you have an edge there. Okay. Now, moving on to the next one, how to host online trading events where people show up. Now, okay, this may be ironic, okay? I've got how many people here today? Let me just check. I'm answering this question. I don't know why, I don't know how, it doesn't tell me how many people are, are there, but uh, there are about six or seven people, or probably more than that. Oh, more than that, we've got about 10, nine or 10 people. The question is, how do I have, how do I host online training events and have people show up? So I'll come to my situation and what I'm, what I'm doing and where I am and I am in this journey, but I'll answer the question. One of the, the, the person who asked this question started hosting online events and realized that and found that people are not, are not showing up. And it can be mortifying when you host an event and only two people will show up and that can kind of discourage you. But, but here's the thing, right? Like that's the, that's the way to start. Right. When I started doing events, two people showed up. Right. And then I did more and more. And then it's slowly increased. Right. But the question is, you know, how do you make people show up? The big answer, the big overarching theme of, of how to make people show up is this. You know, 
I'll give you an example. If you have, let's say, if you have a new cure to get rid of diabetes, for example, in 30 days, if you have a new cure to get rid of diabetes in 30 days, and you put this training event or this webinar in front of diabetics, do you think they'll show up? Please type in the chat. Do you think they'll show up? I think they will, right? It's a new cure. It is proven to cure diabetes in 30 days. Doctors are endorsing it. And if, if there are diabetics that are suffering from the illness, chances are that they will show up, right? Depending on how many people you showed in front of, right? Yeah, Bill says it's a snake oil concern. I mean, I'm just giving you an example, right? It could be anything else. It could be, all I'm saying is that, you know, if, if your topic is relevant, right? If your topic is relevant and there are people that are facing certain challenges and if they feel that you can help them improve at least one step forward, then there's a chance that they will show up, right? I'm using a, I used a medical example, but, and, and you mentioned, Bill, that, that there may be a, a, a concern of snake oil. I mean, you're right, yes. But what if it was a reputed organization? Let's say, you know, a, a very famous hospital, the, the webinar came from that, or, you know, it was in association with that. If it wasn't, if it was legit, right? and it was relevant, people would show up, right? Even if you're a smaller consultant, if, if you have uh, followers on LinkedIn, for example, and- have, have you by chance noticed the number of things from Justin Trudeau about cryptocurrencies and, and other you know, false advertising type things? This is becoming very, very difficult from a marketing perspective mm -hmm. uh, for people to believe that, you know, they're actually truly being engaged by, you know, reputable firms with, with the amount of fraud in the, in the UK last year was about 3% of the GDP in, in malware and spam, you know, from emails of this nature. So, you know, it, it's, it's just, th these are some of the challenges, at least from the security perspective. Got it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a valid point, but here's what I'll say. Like if you are if you're a small consultant, an independent consultant, the owner of a small farm, and you're posting content on LinkedIn, let's say, you know, for a month or so, or a couple of months, or whatever the the time frame is, and you know, people know that you know what you're talking about, and you build a little bit of trust there, right? You build a little bit of a following. The next step could be host an event and invite those people. So there is a bit of leg legitimacy there. It's not like you're just, you know, spamming people cold, right? So you can start building. I mean, it's all about trust, right? At the end of the day, if you can build trust with a small audience by doing something small and then turning that trust into an event or an online training of some sort, knowing that, you know, you're going to share something that is of value to them, then there's a good chance that people will 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 come in and and listen and give you their time, right? But yes, it is a slippery slippery slope. But the key is, you know, 
do what you have to do to build trust with even a small audience and then have them make the next step and come into a training an online training and then from if people keep coming right if people if you're helping them address a certain challenge and if they if 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 you have a couple of events and they come then you know that okay this can work and then it becomes a numbers game right you can go a little bit harder on linkedin there's an events feature and you can invite more people you can have testimonials from people that have attended your events before and say how helpful they were right if it's truly helpful of course you can even you know if you have an email list email people that you who you know and have them attend your event you can create a list of affiliates and partners where they promote for you right so for example for this for 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 a, for a forum like this the consulting growth hour one of the things that i want to do is speak with management consulting associations and see if they can promote this event so other people can come you know this is an event where it's it's a recurring event i've got like what nine of you here showed up i mean nine is, is still plenty i'm not saying that you know it's poor i think nine people have given me their time today is is plenty but if i want to grow it you know and one thing that's really encouraging for me is that you know i'm having these events every two weeks right and people uh it's it's not just a one-off event if when i've had a one-off event i've had you know close to 100 people attend as well right but because this is a series i'm finding that there are you know the numbers are not that big but what i what what is encouraging for me is that i see a lot of new a lot, a lot of faces keep coming back a lot of people over here like Laurie, for example, and Bill, you attended before. Chris has been part of my events before as well. And, and a few others, you know, who, who, I've keep, who I keep seeing coming back. And that is encouraging. Then I know that, okay, there are people that value what I say. For them to give me 60 minutes of their time, that is a, a great indicator. Now it becomes, you know, a numbers game for me in, this, in, in the sense that, okay, can I get this in front of more people? If I want to have 50 people on the call, for example, can I get this in front of more people? How do I do that? Do I partner with people? Do I, you know, increase, just invite more people? I haven't invited a lot in my entire network. I've only invited, you know, a handful of them, not a handful, but, but you know, not even 50% of them. So I can invite more and more people to, to spread the word. I haven't done that, but, you know, I will do do so in the future. There are many ways I can use to do that. But then the initial feedback that I've got is that you know people are coming back, so that's a good sign. Laurie, you you had your hand up, but can I suggest that we just take that question in the end? I'm just going to quickly move into the the, the final question because I'm we're just seven minutes to one p.m. Eastern. So the final question is, how do you just listed it down somewhere and it's like, oh, there, there it is. How do you come up with content ideas fast? Okay, somebody asked this question, how do you come up with content ideas fast? And here's how you do that. The first thing I do when I want, I want to, you know, build a new piece of content is to look at my meeting notes with my clients. 
I have client conversations every single week, almost every day. And the best content ideas come from those notes. I'm not saying that I take confidential information and put it in there, but I just look at the topics. What did we discuss? What are these topics? Why was it bothering this particular client? What, what are the underlying root causes over there? What, what, what is this client fed up with? What, what are the implications of, of this challenge? That gives me a lot of inspiration, a lot of ideas. And I know that if one client is going through these issues, then a lot of clients within my market, a lot of potential clients within my market will be going through these certain issues. Okay. So I'll take those issues and I'll teach it. I'll put, I'll put it together in a, in a format where I can teach it just like this. Number two, meeting notes with my prospects. I speak with prospects on a regular basis and what are their challenges, right? I would again, take those topics, just those, those topics and themes. And I would create content based on that. I would teach it. And number three, share frameworks. I have a lot of frameworks and consultants have a lot of frameworks, right? That's how we solve problems. So for example, I have a framework of how consultants can go from generalist to specialist. It's a four-step framework. And I would share that framework and I've shared it in the past before. So if you have a framework on how you solve problems for your clients, then by all means, share it and talk about it and talk about why it works, right? A number of four is mindset issues relating to challenges, right? If my client is facing a particular challenge, for example, right? For example, one of the client, one of my clients was facing a challenge of not being, not being consistent with business development activities, not being consistent with prospecting activities. So that was a challenge that they were facing. And I, and I, I wrote about that and I, I, I thought, thought it. Like, like I, I, I put together a framework and I, you know, presented it, but then there was another thing that I could write about is the mindset behind what that person, what that client was thinking. Why were they not consistent? Why, why were they not consistent with business development and, and prospecting activities? And what I found was because they had an identity crisis, they saw themselves as a technical consultant, whereas a, a business owner should see themselves as a salesperson selling consulting services, right? That, that was a mindset shift. So that was another piece of content that I created based on that insight. And finally, number five, content ideas. Talk about customer stories and wins. You know, when you create content for your audience, you want to show people that you have solved similar problems. So talk about have your customers write testimonials for you and share them. People will resonate with, with the problems that your potential, your customers have faced, your clients have faced, and they'll see themselves in their shoes and they'll know that you can potentially solve a problem that they're facing as well. Okay. All right. So that brings me to the end of the current questions. Thanks for listening right to the end. I appreciate your time. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and connect with me and say hi on LinkedIn. For video replays of these sessions, check out our YouTube channel. And most importantly, join us live to get all your questions answered at Consulting Growth Hour Live. All details in the show notes. See you next time.